Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. Amen. Thank you, Philip, and thank you, church. That hymn is probably one of my favorite hymns uh, because we need hymns to sing when things aren't going our way. We need hymns to sing on dark and difficult days because so often that is our experience. And we need our hearts and minds to be reoriented by the songs that we know and love toward heaven and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Saw a powerful demonstration of this with that hymn just a few weeks ago. Um, You'll remember that it was just a few short weeks ago that the uh, Covenant School in Nashville experienced the horrific shooting there. And the Sunday, immediately following that shooting, as that church family gathered in the midst of grief and heavy hearts, mourning the loss of the children and the adults there in that school shooting. They opened their service with that hymn, joining together to sing and proclaim the need for their souls to be still and remember the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need today, as we consider how to overcome the burden of worry and anxiety, we need to be reminded that our hope is only found in Jesus Christ. And while things in this world will continue to deteriorate, continue to worsen, we've seen even this past week here in our own state, just down the road in Louisville, the horrific actions of deranged evil. Our hope is looking forward to the hope of heaven that we have. By putting our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And so this morning I would ask that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 as we look at our Lord Jesus' own prescription for how to overcome worry and anxiety. A few weeks ago we began looking at these verses in the Sermon on the Mount on worry and anxiety. We've been working our way through Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. We have one more chapter to go after today, chapter 7, and here we come to the part of the sermon where Jesus addresses the reality that his followers are filled with worry and anxiety, and he gives us instructions about how to overcome that. We first began building a theological foundation based on God's own character of why it is we can be free from worry. The theological foundation for our freedom rests on the realities that God knows our needs, God values our lives, and God meets our needs. Those things are clear right here in Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus talks about this. But most of us have probably experienced in our own lives the frustration that comes from the disconnect from what we know to be true And actually experiencing the realities of that truth. So, for example, in the same way that I know how to lose weight, right? I know the exercises I should do. I know the foods that I should eat and the foods that I shouldn't eat. 
There's a disconnect between what I know to be true and the pounds actually coming off of my body. Right? I know how it happens. I know the mechanism behind it, but actually doing it, that's a whole other ball game. And so in the same way as we read these verses, we understand that we can know why we shouldn't worry, but that actually doesn't translate into us being free from worry. And so two weeks ago, we began looking at the how, the things we actually need to do. And I gave you five ways to begin experiencing freedom from worry. It starts, as we said then, with embracing good theology. Because even though knowledge itself isn't the end all, it must be the start. We will never get to the right solution if we have not started from the right place. We have to have the right knowledge, the right theology. Good theology about who God is who we are, what the gospel is, those things are key to getting started in the right direction. Those things will orient all the other practices that we have when it comes to being free from worry. And after that, there are a number of practices we can apply that will help. Some of these come directly from Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount. Some come from other places in Scripture. And they can be done, as I said, then in any order. Some of you will find some of them more helpful than others. Some of you will find others of them more helpful. And that's okay. After embracing good theology, we looked at four more for a total of five, including investigating medical issues, making sure that there isn't something physically wrong with us that's causing us worry. We looked at talking to God through prayer, casting our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. We looked at talking to ourselves And understanding the necessity of calming our own minds. Doing what we just sang in this hymn. Be still my soul. That hymn is a way of talking to yourself. Just as the psalmist wrote. Talking to himself. Reminding himself. To be free from worry. We need to talk to ourselves. And then finally. We talked about a couple weeks ago. Just going outside. Being out and doing what Jesus says right here. Consider the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. He's not talking about doing some academic study here. He's not talking about getting a book on birds and lilies. He says, go outside and look at these things. Be out in my creation. And this will help you. This week, we'll look at five more practices. Simple things that you can start doing today that will begin to alleviate this burden of worry and anxiety. Now, these things aren't instantaneous cures but they will help us begin moving in the right direction. These are divine helps given to us by God to enable us to follow Christ's command to not worry. And while, as I said before, they can be done in any order, we will see that a couple of the ones we're going to discuss today rise to the level of commands from Christ and should not be neglected, particularly the first point we're going to look at in just a moment. And so then, if you are able, I would ask this morning that you stand together with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. There we read, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's once more turn to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, we come before you confessing that we have a tendency to be worried and anxious people. Lord, perhaps we are worried this very moment about something that is utterly beyond our control. Lord, the what-ifs fill our minds. And we work ourselves into a frenzy, worrying about things that we should be trusting into your hands instead. Lord, I, I pray that in your tender mercy, that you would apply the truths of your word to our very hearts this morning so that if we find ourselves in that state of affairs, that we would be freed from worry and enabled to live the abundant life that you have given us through Christ's atoning work for us. Lord, I pray that you would help me this morning to communicate these things well. That you would help me to communicate in such a way so as that the one who is burdened by this would find freedom and not condemnation. And the one who is guilty of sin, though they might experience condemnation, would see the hope that they have through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those watching on computers or phones or televisions, even right now, We pray that they too would experience the work of your Holy Spirit in their hearts as we consider your word and how to be free from worry. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we come once again to the list of practical helps that God gives us in his word to overcome worry, the first one that we're going to look at today is to prioritize God's kingdom and his righteousness. Prioritize God's kingdom and his righteousness. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, seek these things first. Make this your priority, God's kingdom and his righteousness. And as we do so, Jesus says, you will find that the necessities of life will be added to you. These things will be added to you or provided for you. 
Now, at first, this may seem counterintuitive. If we need food, if we're hungry, shouldn't we be focused on getting food? Right? As the TV commercial said, hungry? Why wait? Right? Grab a Snickers or something, you know, that will alleviate that hunger, that will satisfy that desire. Shouldn't getting food to alleviate our hunger be our priority? Well, not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God ought to be our top priorities. Now, he even models this for us. If you go back and remember in the Lord's Prayer, which we looked at previously here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus prays and the very first thing he prays for is your kingdom come. Even before he prays for our daily bread, Jesus is modeling for us what it looks like to prioritize the kingdom of God. If we make the kingdom of God and his righteousness our focus, our top priority, according to Jesus, we will find that we will have no problem meeting our needs or having our needs met by God. And we will do so in a way that advances God's kingdom and reflects His righteousness. Students and children, young people here, this point is essential for you now. Because the world is already trying to drill into your minds that you need to prioritize many different things. You need to prioritize your education. You need to prioritize getting a good job. I remember even when I was teaching, I had to call students into me and the state required me to ask them, what do you want to do? Right? And I was teaching 8th graders and one of them said, I want to be a professional wrestler. And I was supposed to give them the steps that they needed to take to go to the right colleges and the right programs and stuff to become a professional wrestler, I guess. But the, the world is trying to drill into your minds that you need to focus on your education, your career. And while all of those things are good, they are not ultimate. And so if we make those things our first priority, what we will find is we will never get the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because we will compromise, we'll cut corners, we'll seek to get the things that the world tells us we need by any means possible. And we will very likely end up dissatisfied. Talk to people who've made their careers their priorities, who've made making money, who've made getting an education their top priority in life, who've sacrificed their family in order to get what they want. Far too often they end up dissatisfied. They end up anxious, experiencing the very thing they were seeking to avoid. But on the other hand, if we make God's kingdom and His righteousness our top priority then we will get the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But you will also get the other things thrown in. Let me give you an example. Last week I spoke to a young man who was working in Lowe's. And this young man, we struck up a conversation as he was checking me out. There wasn't anybody else back in line behind me. And, and we started talking. He had on some bracelets that indicated he was a believer. And so we started talking and I found out that this young man was very anxious about finding a spouse. And over the years, I've had many conversations with 
young adults over the exact same topic. And I found that anxiety over this one issue seems to be one of the most anxiety-inducing concerns among young people. It's difficult to find a truly godly partner. And for some, it can become a preoccupation. It can become the only thing they're focused on. My advice to the young man and and my advice to others like him is simply this. Pursue the kingdom of God with all your might. Invest your, your time, energy, and efforts into advancing the kingdom of God. Run as hard as you can for Christ. And then as you are running as hard as you can for Christ, look around you at who's running beside you. At who's pursuing the kingdom with the same zeal, the same vigor, the same energy. Because kingdom-minded individuals are looking for other kingdom-minded individuals that they can share their mission with, that they can start a family with. Sometimes it doesn't work out. We we celebrate every year Lottie Moon and the Christmas offering, right? And Lottie Moon was one who she was pursuing the kingdom of God and the man that she was supposed to marry didn't share her zeal and commitment to the kingdom of God. And so she said, see, I'm going to China. Because for her, the kingdom of God was the priority. And I bet if you could ask Lottie Moon today if she would trade that, She wouldn't go back and make a different decision. You see, a marriage founded on the priority of God's kingdom and His righteousness is a marriage that will not only last, but thrive. And beyond that, produce kingdom-oriented children as well. But a marriage that's focused on convenience, or a marriage that's founded on mere attraction, or social status, or any other factor is destined only for heartache. Now, that does not mean that a marriage that's founded on the wrong foundation cannot adjust course, that husband and wife can't realize we've been focused on other priorities and not the kingdom of God, and we need to change that. That marriage can reorient its priorities and become a marriage that's focused on the kingdom, but it takes work and commitment. And both partners committed to the kingdom. Marriage is one example, but it's not the only one. It's one in which we can see this principle played out, that together as husband and wife pursues the kingdom of God, that their marriage grows stronger, that their love for one another grows deeper. But every other worry and anxiety we experience can also be alleviated by prioritizing God's kingdom and His righteousness. Any situation in which we find ourselves where our anxiety begins to overwhelm us, we simply need to pause and ask, how can I use this situation for God's glory and to display His righteousness? And if you use that, if you choose to use that situation for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of His kingdom and His righteousness, you'll find that your life is given a purpose. That situation is given a purpose. You're now in mission-minded mode. And worry and anxiety begins to diminish. That's why Jesus here, I think, tells us to, to focus on these things first. And He promises that if we do, our needs will be met. He says these other things, the things that you're worried about, those things will be added to you. 
But it's by pursuing God's kingdom. It's by pursuing His righteousness. When you're seeking after the right things, when you're prioritizing the right things, that's when we find that our needs are met. So first, we prioritize God's kingdom and His righteousness. Second, we need to discern the source of our worry. Discern the source of our worry. Now this can go alongside what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when I encourage you to consider investigate medical issues. Today I want to focus on the more spiritual side of worrying. There's a physical aspect of it, but there's also a spiritual side. All anxiety, all worry will either have a physical or a spiritual cause. Either our bodies will not be functioning the way that they ought to be, our minds will not be functioning the way that they ought to be, or our souls will be unhealthy and disturbed. You see, we are both, God made us both physical and spiritual beings. And the two are inextricably linked. Embodied souls. And either component, either our bodies or our souls, can become unhealthy and unsettled. And neither one can ever be truly separated from the other. So that when one is sick, when one is disordered, the other is ultimately affected. So once we rule out any medical reasons as the cause of our anxiety, we have to examine our spiritual lives to determine where this is coming from. And that begins with asking ourselves a very important question, a question that we don't ask ourselves nearly often enough. And that is this, is my worry, is my anxiety the result of a sin that I have committed? Now that's a tough question to ask yourself. We don't like to consider the fact that we might be guilty of a sin. But we also shouldn't fear this question. We shouldn't be afraid to ask ourselves this question because if we find that we have indeed sinned, if we find that we have committed some sin and and we are feeling the guilt and shame of that sin, then the cure is very simple. Run as fast as you can to the cross of Jesus the moment you realize that you've sinned. Confess that sin to Jesus. And then embrace the truth of 1 John 1.9. Where there, He tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, understand the sweetness of this verse. The best thing you can do is ask yourself, have I committed a sin? We're so afraid of being found out, of of opening that door to the secret compartment of our lives and letting the light in because We don't want to be found guilty. And so we allow it to fester unconfessed in our hearts. We allow that shame and guilt to grow. And all the while, Jesus says, I want to forgive you. I want to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is what Jesus came to do. This is why He left heaven's joys and comforts. This is why He left the Father to come to earth to be clothed in flesh. To go to the cross. To take our sin and our shame and our guilt on Himself. To endure in His own body the wrath of God for our sins so that we could be forgiven and freed. 
Jesus' great mission is to rescue you from the consequences of your sin, including your guilt. So if you're feeling guilty, the worst thing that you could do is refuse to ask yourself this question, have I committed a sin? We need to ask ourselves this question because if we have, the answer is simple. Ask God for forgiveness. He will forgive you. And you can let it go. You can lay it aside. That burden is not yours to carry because Jesus has already paid for it. It's His. So confess it. Ask God to forgive you knowing that He will forgive you. Unfortunately though, when it comes to worry and anxiety, Satan has a very dirty trick up his sleeve. You see, Satan doesn't even need you to sin in order to trouble your heart and cause worry and anxiety. Instead, all he needs to do is to confuse you, confuse you with regard to whether you have been tempted or whether you have actually sinned. What do I mean here? Remember, Satan is the great tempter. Satan had the audacity to tempt Christ himself in the wilderness. And so you can bet your bottom dollar he will tempt you as well. He has no qualms about it. And often being tempted, having experienced temptation, we feel guilty for having experienced temptation. But we need to understand temptation is not sin. And so we should not feel guilty for it. Jesus was tempted more sorely, more severely than any of us ever have been. And yet, He did not give in to that temptation. It was not sin for Him to feel the hunger that He felt. Nor to hear the words of Satan enticing Him to turn stones into bread. Yes, it would have been sin for Him to yield to that temptation, which He did not do. But it is not sin to be merely tempted. So do not confuse temptation with the sin. Richard Baxter, whose book I pointed out earlier, says it this way. He says, do not think that the devil's sin is your sin. That's on him. God will throw him into everlasting torment in the lake of fire prepared for him and his demons. One day, for how he tempted Christ, for how he tempts us. That's his sin. It's not your sin. The devil wants you to be mired in guilt and shame. And so he entices you with doubt and fear. So understand, it is no sin to feel doubt and fear any more than it was a sin for Jesus to feel hungry. The question is, what do we do with that? The Bible tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from us. It's only when we give in, when we indulge those doubts and fears that we cross from temptation into sin. And remember, even then we have a solution. When we give in to the temptation, repent, run to Christ, ask for forgiveness, and He is faithful and just to forgive you. But if you have only ever felt the sting of temptation, which all of us have, Do not give in to it and do not allow yourself to be burdened by the false guilt that Satan wants to trap you in. So we need to discern the source. We need to understand, is this spiritual source, have I been tempted to sin? 
Or have I actually sinned? And then, depending on what you find, respond accordingly. The third practical step we can take to overcome worry is to not be overly contemplative. This too correlates to what we said a couple of weeks ago about talking to yourself instead of listening to yourself. Often, we get trapped in a death spiral of anxiety in our minds. The endless what-if questions, right? We've all been there. What if I go to this event? What if there's a person there that I don't like? What if my car breaks down on the way home and I have to walk and I get mugged? You know, and it goes on and on and on. What if I go to church and someone asks me how my week was? What if I tell them the truth and then they get freaked out and never want to talk to me again? See, Jesus anticipates this death spiral of anxiety in our minds. All these endless what if questions. He instructs us in verse 31. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? You hear the repetitive nature of these questions. The beginnings of this what if death spiral. Because who are we saying these things to? Who are we asking these questions of? Well, these are questions that we often ask ourselves in our minds. This endless what if cycle. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be overly contemplative. Baxter exhorts us in this book over and over again to not spend too much time meditating. Or he says, don't be in too much solitude. Because when we're alone, away from people, what do we do? Our minds start rehearsing these questions. We start this spiral that we can't pull up out of. At one point, he even encourages us to make light of the troubling thoughts that we experience. He says, these troublesome thoughts are like bothersome harpies. If you incline to them and answer them, they will never leave you alone. The devil's design is to annoy and unsettle you. If he sees that you will not be bothered and unsettled, he will give up. The Bible tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't allow your mind to go down this road. Alistair Begg, another pastor, calls these thoughts the insidious insinuations of Satan. So that when we are anxious, worried, depressed, bothered, it does us no good to sit and think. Because it is our minds that have become disordered. We would do much better if we did what we said a couple weeks ago and just got up and went outside. Or put our next point into practice, which is to do something. Do something. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus concludes this section by saying in verse 34, He says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so as we read this, we understand Jesus isn't giving us permission. He's not saying, okay, don't worry about tomorrow, but you're perfectly okay if you want to sit and worry about today. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's telling us that there's things for us to do today. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. You've got stuff. We've all got stuff. Even as we sit here in this room right now, we've all got things that we need to accomplish today. 
right? And already we're probably thinking about the things that we've got to accomplish Friday. If I'm honest with you, I've thought already today, okay, I've got to make a Sam's Club run to go get chips and nachos and all kinds of junk food for Secret Church on Friday night. And when am I going to do that? And when am I going to set up the TV and the computer screen and the projectors and all these things? Jesus says, listen, Tim, you need to be worried about preaching my word today. That's your task in front of you. And all of us have things that we need to do today rather than worrying about tomorrow. We need to get to work. There's a reason, I think, why anxiety and depression rates have skyrocketed over the past quarter century. And even more acutely, if you look, we talked about the statistics of how this has become an epidemic through COVID. I think it's because we're bored. Because for the past three years, we haven't had anything to do but sit at home and have two weeks to limit the spread, right? For three years. In many ways, our lives are easier than ever before. We have microwave dinners. And now we have DoorDash and Grubhub. Restaurants will deliver to your door. Meal kits will drop a box off on your front porch. Walmart will deliver your groceries to your door. We have automatic dishwashers, clothes dryers, ice makers. Everything is convenient for us, and yet we're worried. Why? Because we're bored. Our grandparents weren't overcome with anxiety because the cows had to be milked and the corn had to be shucked. Right? And if they didn't do those things, they would lose the farm. Each day had tasks that had to be accomplished. And it's only since we've been freed from those labors that we become anxious when we didn't have something we had to do. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to go out and buy a farm, although it might not be the worst idea in the world. But you should go and do something. Do something, some task that you can accomplish And feel good about. That's what I think Jesus is telling us in verse 34. Focus on today's trouble. The things that need to be done today. Here Baxter is forceful in his exhortations. He says, do not waste precious time in idleness. Idleness is the opportunity of the tempter. When you are idle, you invite the devil to come and annoy you. Remember, time is precious and flies away, and God has given you none without a purpose. None of the time that you have is without a purpose. Listen, the time that's set aside on Sunday mornings for us to come and worship, that's not time wasted. That's purposeful time that God has allotted to you to come together, to be with His people, to hear His Word taught, to sing hymns of praise, to pray and give. That is purposeful time. It's not time wasted. There is no amount of time that God has given you that doesn't come with a purpose attached to it. My great-grandfather, Arva Emerson, said something similar. You've probably heard this before, but he told me that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Very similar to Richard Baxter here. And so, find a project, a task that you can do For the sake of God's kingdom and His righteousness, our first point, and go and busy yourself with that. Find something to do. If you need help with that, 
think Steve could use some help mowing the yard around here sometimes. So we can find you something to do, right? If, if you need help, come and talk to me and, and we'll figure out something that you can busy yourself with. In all seriousness, though, sometimes, try as we might, we struggle to do these things on our own. And we become mired in the rut of our own anxiety. And so therefore, we have one last option. And that is simply this. Get help. Get help. When you see that you are sick with a disease... We recognize we're not going to get better unless we go see a doctor. When our soul is sick, we need the church. We need our friends. Sometimes you just need the pastor. Now, it can be humbling and difficult to ask for help. I know that our official state motto is united we stand, divided we fall. But I've been around Kentuckians my whole life. And I know that if we had our say, our state motto would probably be something along the lines of keep your nose out of my business. Right? We don't like meddlers. But that's not how God created us to live. God created us to live in community. The very first thing that wasn't good in His creation was for man to be alone. He designed us to be helping one another. So that when we need help, We need to ask for it. That's what I'm here to help you with. That's what I'm here for. We may have trouble seeing how to make God's kingdom and His righteousness our top priority in our lives, in our specific situation. You may say, listen, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to pursue godly relationships in a way that makes God's kingdom and His righteousness our priority. You may need help determining. I don't know whether I've actually sinned in this situation or if I've simply been tempted. I've gone over it in my mind. I'm being overly contemplative. I know that's not helpful either. So help me figure this out. Here's the circumstances. We may not be able on our own to break free from the death spiral of what if questions. Because that requires a retraining of our minds, a refocusing of our priorities. We may not know the best way that we can busy ourselves. And so, ask. Get help. I'll quote Baxter one last time here. He says on this point, Do not trust your own judgment in your depressed and anxious condition as to either the state of your soul or the choice and conduct of your thoughts or ways. Commit yourself to the direction and judgment of some experienced, faithful God. In this dark, disordered condition, you are unfit to judge your own condition or the way to approach your duty. Right? We, we trust doctors when we have cancer or some other disease. We go to someone and, I want you, and, and we say, Doctor, I want you to tell me what I need to do. We don't go to the doctor and say, okay, doctor, I, I think I need you know, so much of this drug and so much radiation treatment. Because we're bad at diagnosing ourselves. That's why you need to stay off WebMD and all those other things, right? We, we recognize that sometimes we need help when it comes to our physical bodies, but we're reluctant when it comes to our souls to seek that same kind of help 
Let me help you if you need it. I'll tell you, I'm no magician. I have no magic spells to make you feel better. But with God's Word and by the help of His Spirit, I believe that I can point you in the right direction so that you can be free from worry. I can remind you of Jesus who died for your sins, who went to the cross to endure God's wrath, to take away our shame and guilt, to secure for us an abundant life so that by His stripes we might be healed. Freedom from worry begins with knowing Christ. Knowing that in Him you can have forgiveness from your sins. Knowing that in Him you can be free from guilt and shame. All of the other worries and anxieties that we will experience are downstream from that one. Are downstream from knowing that we have been made right with God by the blood of Jesus. And so if you would like to know that freedom today, then I would encourage you, come and let me know. That you need to know how you can be forgiven of your sins. How how your guilt and shame can be removed. But maybe today you've been carrying around a burden. A worry that you just you can't be rid of. And you want to come and pray and be free of it. Then I would invite you, come and pray. Maybe you've been feeling shame and guilt over a particular sin and you're tired of it. Come and confess it to God and embrace 1 John 1.9 that He is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin today. You don't have to carry it out these doors with you. Maybe you want to come and ask for help in overcoming these things. Now is the time to take the first step toward freedom from worry. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You have not left us alone in our anxiety. You have not left us alone in our worry, in our fear, in our troubled and annoyed state. Lord, I know that there is undoubtedly someone here that the devil is right now trying to annoy. Lord, there's someone here that has been incapacitated by worry and anxiety. There's someone here whose mind begins an infinite spiral of what-ifs anytime they try to step out the door. Lord, I, I pray for that person. I pray for freedom today. I pray that something that's been said here from Your Word, that some of these principles that are given to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that they would be applied to our lives so that we might find the freedom that He came to purchase for us. God, I pray that we would not needlessly carry around burdens that are no longer ours to carry because Jesus has paid for them. Lord, I pray that you'd humble us and cause us to ask for help when we need it. And may you be praised in all that is said and done and accomplished here today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, You can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5242.
1-800-273-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.